0: Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. I don't often do this, but I want to get right to some sound that you need to hear to understand the rest of this episode. This is a British Pathé newsreel from 1951, filmed after pounding rain caused floodwaters to sweep down the Kansas River from near Manhattan and into Kansas City and swamped other parts of the state as well.
1: Along 400 miles of the Kansas and Missouri rivers, the worst floods in U.S. history inundate thousands of square miles of land. Almost every city and town along the waterways is isolated from its neighbors. Swirling waters literally empty stores and homes as the raging torrents pour through Topeka, Salina, Emporia, Independence, and Kansas City topsoil from thousands of acres of rich farmland is swept into the city streets and even into a hotel lobby in Manhattan, Kansas. In Manhattan and in other cities, ropes are strung across the streets, but still, 17 people lose their lives, 75,000 houses are destroyed, and half a million people are temporarily displaced from homes and jobs. Bridges are washed away by the swirling waters and thousands of dollars of valuable freight cargoes are destroyed. As the victims are brought to safety, Congress rushes a $25 million aid bill to help the stricken areas. At Kansas City, on the Kansas-Missouri border, 11 oil tanks containing 800,000 gallons of oil blow up. The flood carries the flames with it. President Truman proclaims the district a disaster area as the damage rises to three quarters of a billion dollars in the worst floods in U.S. history.
0: Now, I don't think for a second that the pictures are any less dramatic than the music and narration. Cars floated by in Topeka, rail cars disappeared underwater in Kansas City, dozens are rescued by boat in Manhattan. And it's right near Manhattan that our flood story turns contentious, a little dangerous, and decidedly Hollywood. The podcast is Archiver. The episode, The Battle at Tuttle Creek. Me, I'm your host Sam Zeff.
2: Suddenly, out of that strange land of pork barreling comes incredible and disturbing news. A group called the Corps of Army Engineers tells Congress of their plans to invade this happy and peaceful valley.
0: Now, by all accounts, Blue Valley was exactly that, happy and peaceful. It was not only beautiful, but also had some of the most productive farmland in Kansas. By 1951, some families had been farming there for three generations. The valley gets its name from the Big Blue River, its headwaters are in Nebraska, and it flows south until it meets the Kansas River right near Manhattan. It's part of the Greater Missouri River Basin. While that was ground zero, if you will, for the 51 flood, the fact is flooding in a number of river basins around Kansas had been a problem the federal government had been fretting about for a long time. With me now is archiver historian Virgil Dean. So, all of this starts with a series
3: of pretty bad floods. Talk to me about that. You know, throughout the 20th century, there were some pretty serious floods real early on, and people began to talk about what might be done. But it's really in the 30s and and the beginning of some big government projects with the New Deal that you can start thinking about the federal government becoming more and more involved in kind of trying to remedy some of these natural disasters or prevent some of these natural disasters. By the mid-40s, you have the passage of something that's called the Pick Sloan Plan, which really is uh, a plan that will uh, build a series of dams. That's what they advocate Uh, The Army Corps of Engineers is behind this plan to build a series of bands up and down the Missouri River and its tributaries to bring some control to the uh, serious flooding that you have during uh, the 1940s and then into the 50s, of course.
0: The Pick-Sloan plan was named after Lewis Pick and William Sloan, both men with roots in the Army Corps of Engineers. It was massive, calling for 107 dams, 1,500 miles of protected levees, 4.7 million acres of irrigation systems, and 1.6 million kilowatts of electric power thrown into boot, all at a staggering cost of $200 million. How big is that? The project today would cost $2.7 billion. But that investment, the government said, would prevent the kind of devastating floods that swept down the Kaw in 1951. Seventeen people died, a half million were displaced, it caused almost a billion dollars in damage. Some people called July 13, 1951, the day the water started to rise, Black Friday. So you'd think everyone would want to try and control the rivers to mitigate flooding. But in one part of Kansas, just the opposite happened.
2: Here in these United States, in the Missouri Basin, is the sunflower state of Kansas. And not far from the very center of our nation, we find this beautiful valley. We like to think of it as our valley, says Bill Edwards. Actually, it isn't our valley at all, even though we've been here four generations. It was here long before we were. It's America's valley. We hope it will always be, growing and producing. Not only for us, but for all of you. For this is the Blue Valley of Kansas. This valley, along with scores of similar food producing valleys, is marked for destruction.
0: That's the beginning of a movie called The Tuttle Creek Story an amazing bit of propaganda filmmaking financed by the people of the Blue Valley as they fought the federal government's plan to dam up Tuttle Creek and create the Tuttle Creek Reservoir. In the end, of course, the dam would be built, and the reservoir is now the second biggest artificial lake in Kansas. But 10 towns disappeared in the process, and some 3,000 people lost their homes, farms, and businesses. The people did not go down without a fight, though. They hired a Hollywood producer named Charles M. Peters to produce The Tuttle Creek Story. Peters would also produce a similar land rights film in San Diego with famed director Cecil B. DeMille and Frank Capra. More on that in a bit. But first, let's listen to a little bit more of the film, The Tuttle Creek Story.
2: Suddenly out of that strange land of pork barreling comes incredible and disturbing news. A group called the Corps of Army Engineers tells Congress of their plans to invade this happy and peaceful valley. The consent of the people was never asked. The plan is ostensibly to build a dam, a plan both bold and deceiving. Colonel C.I. Sturdivant of the Army Engineers testifies in Congress that Tuttle Creek Dam can be built for a total cost of $27 million. Of course, no towns will be destroyed. And flood control. There will be a beautiful recreational lake. Cheap electricity, all for $27 million. A depression-inspired Congress authorizes the Make Work Project, but appropriates no money. A vague fear, like a clutching shadow, spreads through the valley. Is this fertile-producing valley being singled out for some new pig-killing scheme to reduce production? The film artfully contrasts the gorgeous
0: feels and down-home looks of the Blue Valley residents with ominous marching boots, made-up scare headlines, and dark music the movie wants you to believe the federal government is invading this bucolic valley for some nefarious but undefined purpose. There are reports at the time of some residents who went to work for the Army Corps being harassed, and some tense moments between residents and the Army Corps. Archiver historian Virgil Dean is back with me now. Talk to me a little bit about the Army Corps of Engineers. You can probably see, especially uh, at this time where we're talking about land rights and uh, the New Deal is coming into, in, into, into place. People are worried about socialism. People are worried about big government. And all of a sudden, this thing called the Army Corps of Engineers, which has been around since the beginning of the Army, mm-hmm. is now involved in making these plans. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, about the Army Corps of Engineers and, and how it
3: fits into all of this. A number of government agencies, of course, were involved in these kinds of things where the Army Corps of Engineers, because of their technical abilities, becomes involved in this flood control control, these flood control projects. The, uh, the Corps of Engineers then would be uh, given the responsibility of implementing the plan that comes is marked out in stone, and uh, moving into these areas, which will involve, if you build large dams, you end up with large reservoirs that's going to displace a lot of people. And so they would be the representatives of uh, of the government coming into areas and as a result kind of have to carry that burden of a big government against, in some cases, that's the way it's framed, a big government against a small landowner or whatever.
0: Right. And it certainly is, uh, that controversy is not just in Tuttle Creek, but Tennessee Valley Authority uh, certainly also has some of that controversy as the government moves in, the Army Corps of Engineers, to buy up land, right. to, to dam it up, mm-hmm. uh, and to, in that case, create electricity. But uh, this is a uh, seems to be controversial in some ways, no matter where they go.
3: Yeah, and it's, a, it's something that's pretty, in the 30s certainly, for the federal government, is unprecedented because the government is begin, just beginning to get involved. Involved in this kind of large scale project. And so uh, that, I think the fact that they are doing those kinds of things is just in and of itself causes suspicion. And, uh, you know, what are they, what is the real motive behind this, maybe perhaps? So there's a questioning of motivation and a distrust in some cases, even though it's not, you know, it's not everyone, obviously, there are lots of people who can see the advantages of of some of this kind of activity, too.
0: It wasn't obvious how the Blue Valley residents found movie producer Charles Peters. There seems to be no documents or news stories pointing in that direction. But then I stumbled across a movie called The Fallbrook Story, with an introduction by Cecil B. DeMille, of all people.
2: This film the simple story of plain people fighting for their rights under the American Constitution. It sustains your faith in representative government. This story shows the supremacy of the people and their elected representatives. It demonstrates that truth and tenacity can overthrow tyranny. The events shown here have become as much a part of our history as Lexington and Yorktown. The history of the people thrills me as it will all Americans. You'll find great satisfaction in The Fallbrook story.
0: The Fallbrook story involves water rights near San Diego when the federal government moved in to gobble up land to build Camp Pendleton, the massive Marine Corps base. The film was directed by Frank Capra in 1952, just a year before the Tuttle Creek story and produced by Peters. And they sure have the same feel. So the Tuttle Creek story is not 100 percent propaganda. The residents also suggest other ways to control flooding. Stop the water where it falls, the film preaches.
2: Why not use our brains and ingenuity to improve methods of holding back water on our watersheds? Contour cultivation is one of them. Multiply these plowed furrows, and the water holding capacity will equal the computed capacity of Tuttle Creek Dam, and the soil is left to produce. Next, water terraces have an even greater water-catching capacity. And here is the small, low-cost retarding dam, many of them, if necessary, to prevent that flood below. What happens? These gullies disappear, and these crops appear. And the water is being stopped where it falls. Proceed down the watershed with this treatment, and we may find long before we reach the dam site that we no longer need the dam, Or the engineer. The dam, of course, is built, and in 1963 the lake
0: starts to fill. But more than 50 years later, it turns out the Tuttle Creek warriors maybe were right. So countless millions of people have swam, boated, and fished in the reservoirs created by the Sloan Pick Plant in Kansas. But a half-century later, they need some tending to, some very expensive tending to. Right now, the state is spending $25 million at the John Redmond Reservoir near Burlington to dredge it of silt. That reservoir supplies water to the Wolf Creek Nuclear Power Plant. I talked to Rex Buchanan, who runs the Kansas Geological Survey, about the project. And he says most of these lakes will need dredging so the silt doesn't fill in big chunks of the reservoir and dramatically
4: lower the water capacity. The problem is that in between the time that they were built for flood control and today, we've relied on them not only for flood control, but also for drinking water sources, for recreation, for all sorts of things that... People were not relying on them originally. Uh, Clinton Lake here in, you know, outside of Lawrence is the source of most of the drinking water for the city of Lawrence. It's really not an option for that just to go away. So what do you do when you've got a resource, in effect storage space in a reservoir, that you become extremely reliant on? You've got to do something. Now, there is a real effort to keep silt from getting into those things. And that's really that kind of preventative thing is where you pe- see people putting a lot of resources in the state right now. If you uh, yeah, do change farming practices upstream, you can try to keep that silt from getting in the water and getting flushed down in the reservoir in the first place. Most of it occurs when, from stream bank erosion during really high flood events. It, it's not like it's an everyday thing. It tends to come in in pulses. So if you can stabilize those stream banks, and you can keep that water from coming in in the first place. Any silt you keep from coming in is silt you don't have to take out. All right? But having said that, these streams back here want to carry a certain amount of silt. And they're going to figure out a way to do it. So those reservoirs are gonna silt up at some rate over time. So the question is now, what do you do about it? I grew up on a farm, I own farm ground, and I, I know those kinds of things come up all the time. And certainly I've got a lot of sympathy for people that own ground that somehow has to be taken away for the greater good. I, I, I wouldn't wanna go through that. and I wouldn't wanna wish it on anybody. By the same token, I also wouldn't wanna go through a flood that destroyed half of North Topeka at the same time, so it's a tough one.
0: A tough one to be sure. And if all of this reminds you of, say, Clive and Bundy in a standoff with the Bureau of Land Management, well, I thought that too. And while there is a clear distrust of the Army Corps, the notion of citizens armed with rifles staring down government agents just doesn't seem possible in 1950s Kansas. The Tuttle Creek story had its premiere in Randolph, Kansas on September 18, 1953. It showed continually in two schools from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Some 6,000 people saw it on that day. The Blue Valley residents did manage to stop the project for a couple of years. But in the end, no film, no amount of community organizing could keep 10 Kansas towns from disappearing to the bottom of the Tuttle Creek Reservoir. And that's Archiver. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap in the studios of kcur 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelen is executive producer. You can see snapshots taken by residents during the dam's construction and other photos of the project at fountaincityfrequency.com. For my favorite Kansas historian, Virgil Dean, I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archive.